Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. Well, thank you so much, Nadia. We love you. Hearing it again, still just as good. So thank you. You're brave. Can we give it up for her, seriously? If, uh, if you ever feel like, man, like uh, God has been doing a work in my heart, and maybe you're not even like, I'm not even out of the woods yet, but you want to share your story, come talk to me, because I just love it. It's the best thing we do, honestly. I mean, I like teaching, but I'd much rather just hear those stories for an hour. So if we have too many stories, it will never be a bad thing. Um, if you could tell by the, uh, the background music, uh, we're going to talk about Chick-fil-A today. Um, that song is Kanye West's song, Closed on Sundays. If you've never heard it, it's an interesting song. But uh, today we are talking about the idea that potentially working less six days a week instead of seven could be better for you. For Chick-fil-A, it is indeed financially better. Uh, This is a staggering stat. In 2017, the average Chick-fil-A store made a little over $4 million. However, the uh, next in line was McDonald's making $2.6 million a store. Starbucks is second, making 945000 and Subway third, making 400, or uh, third uh, below Chick-fil-A, uh, making 416000 If you add up all three of those stores, that is slightly less than one Chick-fil-A store. What's even crazier about that stat, as we know, is Chick-fil-A is only open six days a week. So if you're hungry for some chicken today, you've got to go somewhere else. They are indeed closed on Sundays. And that idea is, uh, is fascinating. I mean, to think about a store doing that, obviously Chick-fil-A has a lot of Christian roots. They're from the South. Um, but their owner, uh, Truett Cathy, once said, we aren't even really in the chicken business. We are in the people business. And furthermore, we want our employees to stick around for the long haul. We think through uh, employees not for just they're here for a year or two, but that they could potentially be in our family for, for the long haul. And so I love that idea about thinking about the idea, is it crazy to think, man, maybe God will do more in six days than I'll do myself in seven. And you think about that idea, and you're like, it is crazy, but it's also not crazy. Of course God will do more. God will do more in four seconds than I'll do in, in seven days. But then why don't we trust that? So that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, this is coming in tandem of, of what we've been, we've been paralleling um, with today and really in our series is just slowing down. Uh, Sloths are uh, a great uh, reminder of that, as we listened to last week with David Attenborough. Uh, no three-minute sloth video today, sorry. But uh, sloths are created by God, and they're slow. And we sometimes laugh at them, but there's something beautiful about them knowing how much they can eat and engage based on their lifestyle. And for us, we can have a lot to learn from that. And so last week, we just really talked about hurry as the devil, that hurry is sin and hurry is consuming us. And we live in the Western world in a culture that is consumed with it. And it's so rampant that when we pull ourselves out of it, it just sucks us right back in, you know? You can even try to be from your, off your phone for a day and you realize how hard it is. You can be in a conversation where someone mentions a TV show and you're like, oh, I've never, like, never watched that. Like, what, you haven't watched that show yet, right? There's too much content. You can't watch them all. I mean, my gosh, there's so many streaming services now. But that's what we talked about. And so we talked about, oh, number one, hurry is killing us, literally, physically, stress-wise, all that type of stuff, distress. Number two, then we centered on how the life and teachings of Jesus are indeed anti-hurry. Uh, Jesus was, had a full schedule but never was in a hurry. 
always had time for people. Um, the third thing, then, is that hurry and love are incompatible. If we want to be like Jesus, who is love, we cannot be hurried because hurry is violence on our soul, which allows us to then be violent in lots of ways to other people. And so our, our solution, then, it was point number four, is that we must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. And I say ruthless because you've got to be ruthless. It will come back at you the second you try and step, step away from it. But at the end of the day, this whole idea came from um, this, this overarching theme that was really Dallas Lillard's main idea of following Jesus. And it was that uh, many of us try to learn the teachings of Jesus without adopting the lifestyle of Jesus. And unfortunately, you can't just learn the teachings. You have to adopt the lifestyle. When Jesus called his disciples to come follow him, he didn't say, hey, come learn a thing. He said, come walk behind me. A rabbi, you'd walk in the literal footsteps, like in the snow behind someone, exactly where they're walking. And so if you don't do that, then your life will be difficult and stressful and anxiety-producing because you're also not walking in the lifestyle of Jesus. So today, in this series, we're talking about how do we actually walk in the lifestyle of Jesus. John Ortberg summarized uh, the reality of not doing this in his quote. He says, For many of us, the danger is not that we'll renounce our faith or, or belief in God. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. So if you just take a moment for just a second and just think about your own personal um, journey with hurry, the people around you and their journey with hurry, how much it plagues our society. Do you feel uneasy? Are you anxious? Are you stressed? I bet if we had everyone close their eyes and raise their hands, how many of you struggle with anxiety and depression? It would be a lot of hands. And, you know, there's a lot of different reasons for that. But at the end of the day, we, we're dealing with it, or someone we love is dealing with it. And for many of us, we're tired and we're worn out. And some of us are trying to almost play the church game, try to do all these things, hoping it'll just, like, magically work and we'll just feel better. And it's not that simple, is it? And, and for many of us uh, who are here that are younger, and I say younger as let's just say you're in the first half of your life, you're trying to really figure this out because you don't want to be burnt out in your 50s or 60s. You, don't, you want to end well, right? In fact, there's actually a reality of physical health involved here. This is kind of a crazy fun fact, uh, but a study done in 2014 proved that the healthiest, longest-living group uh, in America was a religious group called the Seventh-day Adventists. Adventists are sort of Christian, um, but as you can tell, they really went all in on the Sabbath, naming the Seventh-day Adventists, and they take Sabbath very serious. Uh, they lived on average 10 years longer than the average American. At that time, the life expectancy was 79 years, so they were living to be, you know, on average 89 years. Uh, the writer of the article said that uh, they take Sabbath so serious that they decompress the stress. He said 84% of healthcare dollars are spent because of bad food choices, inactivity, and unmanaged stress. And so they have created cultural ways of managing stress through their Sabbath. So if you didn't believe it, and I've told you this, I said this last week, following the lifestyle of Jesus will, is the best way to live life. Unarguably. And this is a silly kind of way to remind you of that. If we take Sabbath serious, it is good for our lives. And we're going to see how God believes it's good, and God even did it, which gives it a greater weight. Uh, and so if you, if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to the first page of your Bible? Easy to find, Genesis 1. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some in the back that we can give to you. We're in Genesis 1. We're going to the last few days of it. God saw all the in chapter 2, the heavens and the end. He ceased because on it he ceased. He ceased here. And what we talk about Shabbat, 
at the passage of Isaiah, uh, it's to delight. And so it says, I'm going to Shabbat. I'm going to give 14% of my week to this. Last week I talked about how, you know, on the whiteboard, if you weren't here, you can, I think you can find it on our, on our website on our podcast, but uh, how the world is, is running at a certain speed that Christ followers, people who deeply follow Jesus, will never compete with. We will always have less. And so there's different categories. We'll have less me time, meaning we don't just get to think about ourselves all the time. We'll have less money because we're called to be generous and to steward that and to give it away for worship, act, and obedience. Well, they're not just to the church, but to other missionaries and friends and hospitality and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we will have less, not- we'll have less fame, influence, because we won't be grinding all the time. And then the last one is we will literally have less time. 168 hours in a week, is that right? 24 of them, if you were to follow this pattern, would be gone. That is 14% of your time. It means that you will only ever get an 86, a B. For those of you college or um, remember high school grades, 86, you're only ever going to get a B. And you have to be okay with that, which means that eight, eight out of ten things that you're asked to do, you can say yes to, but you have to say no to two out of ten. One out of five. And everyone else in the world gets to say yes to everything. Now, we don't, now that will eventually make them say no to a lot of other things in the future because they'll be running at a speed they can't contain. But for us, we're called to that. And God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run at 86%. I'm going to spend 14% of my time during the creation narrative of the world, and I'm going to stop. And I'm going to just sit in it. And here's what he does. He stops from his melakah, which is his work, his skilled labor. And he does two things. Number one is he blesses it. He blesses it. And he only, he's blessed three things at this point. He's blessed animal kingdom, the animal kingdom. He's blessed humans. And then he blesses a day. So blessing means God is with. Curse means God without. That's the simplest way to understand it. Blessing means I'm with these things. I'm with animals. I'm with humanity. And I am with a day. Weird, right? The second thing he does is even more provocative. He makes it holy. This is the first thing he makes holy in the entire Bible. You're like, well, he had people. I didn't, I mean, come on, like, we're important. This is the first thing he makes holy. Holy is to set apart. Humanity's not even set apart, right? In this instance, it's just this day is set apart for this deep sense of reverence and worship. Now, I don't know about you, but if, if, you're, if you're tacking up how important this is, in the, the few chapters of Genesis, it's up there, right? I mean, only thing he said that's holy, one of the three that he blessed, God actually participates in it in himself, right? This is a big deal. This is what we see from the beginning of creation, and one scholar puts it simply. He says, the creation story's conclusion is not at the end of six days, but is at the end of the seventh. The holy day set apart is the culminating crescendo of his creation. It is not an add-on. It is the feast of the creation. It is the, the best thing of the week. Do you have a day like that? Or is your day errands and Costco and five hours of Netflix and mowing your lawn and pulling your weeds? Or maybe you don't even do that. Maybe you just like money so you work seven days a week. Or maybe you travel so much that you never have a day off and your laundry is just a perpetual cycle of piles, right? Why fold them? You're just going to wear them anyways, right? Can I, can I get an amen on that one? Forget dressers. Let's have baskets. We'll just put them in the basket and pull out a shirt. Why can't we all just have wrinkled clothes? Anyways, um, that's the reality of, of what we're dealing with. And so this is the Sabbath that we see created from the beginning of the Bible. And next, I want to turn to a Jewish understanding of it. So let's go to Exodus 20. That's the next 
book in your Bible, if you turn to your right, Exodus 20. If you're a little Bible scholar and you've heard, I know Exodus 20. Exodus 20 is what we call the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are like the big ten rules that God gives the people of Israel, the Jewish people, of these pillars of what it means to be in community with the living God, with Yahweh. And so he creates these Ten Commandments. He gives them to Moses on the tablets. Moses comes down the mountain. And if you remember, the reason for these was because the Jewish people at the time had been in slavery in Egypt. And they had been toiling every day, working every single day, grinding at the consumeristic, hedonistic culture of Egypt and Pharaoh. So God frees them from slavery, right? And then he says, here's the way you're going to live. And you best know it, you're going to take a day off. And not just any day off. And he says in the fourth commandment in verse 8, it's the biggest one of the Ten Commandments. It takes up 30% of all the words of the commandments. It's the biggest one. Remember the Sabbath day to set it apart as holy. For six days you may labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not work. You, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your cattle, or even a resident foreigner who is in your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. He says, remember, it's almost like, you know, when, when we observe a holiday, right? We observe Memorial Day. We don't work or post offices close, right? By, by observing it and remembering it, you're actually doing something. Remembering isn't just like, oh, I remember that thing. No, it's remembering in such a way that I, I facilitate my life around observing and engaging with that. And so what God is doing is he's saying here, hey, you were slaves. I'm going to give you the, the way to live life, right? Here's the laws that will give you true freedom and meaning and value as a human being on this earth as image bearers of me. Here's how you do it. And here's one of the ways you do it. You don't work one day a week. And what do you do? You rest, you stop, you cease, you delight, as Isaiah says. You rest, you delight, and you worship. You worship because in verse 11, he literally says, I'm doing it, you do it. That's, literally, that's his reason for doing it. I did it, so you do it. I prove to you the importance of this day and the deep value that it has, the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. It's, you're giving it over to God and asking, what do you want to do this day for me and with us? It's not your day. In fact, really, no day is your day. No breath is your breath. It's to God. Now, what happens is worship, rest, delight, right? Those are the three. I'll have a fourth one in a little bit um, that I'll, I'll pull in. But worship, rest, delight, that is not the same as a day off. Uh, Eugene Peterson, who is the one who paraphrased the message and written a lot of books, he, he calls the day off a bastard Sabbath. <laughs> it's pretty harsh language. Uh, but he says, you may take a day off from your employer, but you're still at work in the grind of life. You run errands, you pay bills, you clean your house, you finish your to-do list, you make a Costco run, you worry about the future work ahead in your emails, in your meetings, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. A day off is not Sabbath. Now you're like, well, that doesn't make any sense because, like, do I get a day off then? We'll answer that question in a second. So the first Exodus 20 that you're in is to, here's the Sabbath, remember it, this is why. Now, if you want to go to Deuteronomy 5, you can. It's one verse. Um, it's a few books later, but I'm just going to read it. Deuteronomy is 40 years later. The Israelites have been through the wilderness. They made a bunch of mistakes. They, the generations died out, and God get, basically gave the law again to the people. And he gives them the Ten Commandments again. And the same commandment, number four, remember the, your Sabbath, is basically the same except for the last verse in verse 15 of chapter 5. It says, 
Recall that you were slaves in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there by strength and power, and that is why the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Walter Brueggemann, uh, his best word to describe the Sabbath is what he calls resistance. It's resistance from the, the, the culture in the world that we are around that, that just, just nags us and pulls us and sucks us back in to the grind of the world, the grind of Egypt and of Pharaoh and of consumerism, right? And so Sabbath is a resistance to that. It's setting up a boundary saying, I will not do that. I will trust in the Lord in six days what you think you can do in seven. I won't do it. And that's how, and, and we have Christians, we follow Jesus. I personally think Sabbath is a little bit of a buzzword. I, I actually would rather call it something different because we're not held to the Jewish laws of Sabbath. We're going to play a game. Right? I'm going to give you an activity, okay? There's nine of them. And you're going to get 113 laws in the Bible plus the 1,500 extra laws in the Mishnah, which is the Jewish code, okay? So you're just going to guess here. We're going to see what you can do and see how well you know the Mishnah. I'm sure you do some light reading of that all the time. But uh, you're going to raise your hand if you think it's allowed, and you're not going to raise your hand if it's not allowed. You're going to keep track. And the winner is going to get some free coffee. How's that sound? Okay, you ready? All right, number one. Here we go. Number one. Flipping on a light switch. Is that allowed on the Sabbath? If you think so, raise your hand. If not, keep your hand down. In three, two, one. Flipping on a light switch is not allowed. Not allowed. So keep track. One point if you did not raise your hand. If you've already been in first service, also, don't play the game. So I was like... <laughs> Talking to you, Nick. No, I'm just kidding. You still got that one wrong, right? Yeah. So. All right, number two, number two, number two. Walking up a flight of stairs. Walking up a flight of stairs, do you think it's allowed? If so, raise your hand in three, two, one. You are allowed to walk upstairs, which means if, if you, uh, you don't have to sell your house and buy a ranch, you can have a, yeah, we have a Cape Cod, so praise God. Or put an elevator in, I don't know. All right, number three. Picking up a pen. Is picking up a pen allowed on the Sabbath? Three, two, one. I think it's allowed. Raise your hand. It is not allowed. Because you're either moving it, which is tidying, or you're writing a letter, which is work. Which you're not allowed to do. Number four, and my favorite, turning on the TV. Allowed or not allowed? Three, two, one. Oof, not allowed. Good. Okay, cliff note, though. Or, I mean, side note. Uh, if you turn on the TV before the Sabbath day starts, you are allowed to watch it. So just make sure you got that TV on. <laughs> I don't know how changing channels work. I don't know. I got lost in the... This is on a Rabonic website, and I was just like reading through the comments, and I was like, I, I don't know how channels go. I don't know how that works, because you're operating your remote, and you are operating it, so uh, I don't think you can. But anyways, uh, okay, number six, tearing toilet paper in a restroom. Tearing toilet paper in a restroom. Three, two, one. You're all hoping you're allowed. You're not allowed. You got to use the whole roll or you got to pre-tear your toilet paper. I, that is just wild. Number seven, peeling fruits. Peeling a fruit. Three, two, one. It is allowed if you intend to eat it, which I, I guess if you're going to juice it, you're not allowed to juice. You're peeling it to juice. You're not allowed to juice it because juicing, you know, yeah. Number eight, moving a lamp. Moving a lamp. And I will say, I have to specify this. Moving a lamp for the intention um, of getting more light. Moving a lamp with the intention of getting more light. Are you allowed to do that? In three, two, one. You are allowed. You are allowed to move the lamp. However, if the cord 
gun's unplugged, then you're out of luck because the light already had to be turned on or off. So if you're doing a puzzle and you need to move it, you're to move it. But you're just not going to move it for fun because that's tidying, right? You're not going to do that. Number nine, in the most intense, putting a rose back into its vase of water. People write about this. Can you believe it? Three, two, one. Okay, so everyone's actually right because if, it's, if the rose is completely open, you can put it back in the water. But if it's not completely open, you may not put it back in the water. Weird. I know. It's weird. It is. There's, I don't know how that one worked, but that's, yeah. So as you can tell, ridiculous, right? Did anybody get, like, is it, I think eight would be because that last one, I guess nine was, anybody get nine? I'm all right. Anybody got them all right? Anybody got, yeah, you, anybody got seven or eight? 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 Anyone? Seven. Seven? Seven? All right, we got two. You guys at the end of service, just go tell the coffee cart, say, I want a free bag of Guatemalan coffee beans, and they'll give it to you. See, I know the Sabbath really well. Great job. Thank you for participating. You did it. Wow, wild stuff, right? Okay, so do we have to follow all those rules? Immediately, I'm just going to tell you no. I'm not even going to wait to tell you no. Okay? I was reading this blog, and I was like, this is like overwhelmingly stressful. The one lady was like, well, what happens about my fridge light? You know, my fridge light comes on when I open the door. They're like, you got to unscrew that before the Sabbath. I'm like, this is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. So this is what Jesus is dealing with. When we, we're going to turn to Mark 2 now. Mark 2 in the New Testament. We'll be in here for the rest of the, the time. So you can turn there if you want. Mark chapter 2. This is the, the reality of what Jesus is dealing with because Jesus, as we believe it or not, is a law-abiding Jewish citizen. Like he follows the rules. He goes to synagogue. He Sabbaths. He gives away his generosity. He goes into the feast. He does all these things, right? And this is what they're dealing with is religious leaders who took the 613 laws and said, oh, okay, those are pretty important. Let's actually just create another fence of 1,500 more rules so that we're extra careful. And then what happens is they suck the life out of the freedom that is following Yahweh, God. And before you know it, they're just hip hypocritical, right? They're just pointing fingers at some things, and they're just walking around watching people whether or not they do the right, right things or not. It's ridiculous. Now, obviously, they don't have, you know, like light switches and stuff like this in this time, but they would do it over something like a match. If you were carrying a match and you intended to light a fire, you couldn't hold the match. But if you were just holding the match to hold the match, you could have, it was in your pocket when you woke up. Fair game, right? It's ridiculous. And so Jesus is dealing with this. And in verse 23 of chapter 2 of Mark, this is the story. Jesus was going through the grain fields on a Sabbath, and his disciples began to pick some heads of wheat as they made their way through. They're eating. You can just pick them off and eat them. Um, they were hungry. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is against the law on the Sabbath? He said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need, and he and his companions were hungry? How he entered the house of God while Abiathar the high priest, and, and he ate the sacred bread, which is against the law for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to his companions. Then he said to him, The Sabbath was made for people, not people, for the Sabbath. And for this reason, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, I mean, like I said, these Pharisees, I mean, they're just like, they're like the most ridiculous hall monitors you've ever seen, right? And makes them feel good, gives them security, right? Very type A, like, I know all the rules, I follow them, right? And Jesus is just like, you guys are ridiculous. You're ridiculous. Because Jesus is fulfilling the law. He is, I am the example of why this was even around, right? He says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath, and the Sabbath was made for people, not people, for Sabbath. And he uses this story, and I love, he just slaps them with this. Have you not read 
I love every time he says that. Yes, they've read. They've read a thousand times. They knew the story when they were 10 and had it memorized. Have you not read? You know? And he's like, and he gives them this story about where David is just famished, and they go and they take this bread that's holy, right? And God doesn't do anything. God doesn't condemn them. He doesn't punish them. And you're kind of like, okay, is there favoritism here? And that's a whole other like, teaching and conversation. But he uses an example because he's saying, you guys have constricted this fence, and you think that is the law. And you have constricted and condemned the beauty and the freedom of what the point of Sabbath is for. The point of Sabbath is not legalism. The point of Sabbath is freedom and it's delight, and it's worship, and it's rest. And so he proves this in an even deeper way in the very next passage. Okay, So it's still Sabbath. The Pharisees are still mad. Then they go in verse uh, 1 of chapter 3. They enter the synagogue on, on Sabbath. So everybody's there. It's kind of like their church service, right? And the synagogue. And a man was there who had a withered hand. They watched Jesus closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath so they could accuse him again, be plain to see in front of everyone, right? You're not allowed to apparently heal on the Sabbath. Uh, and so here they are, and in verse 3, he says to the man who has the withered hand, stand up among all these people. So he stands up in front of a few hundred people, and he says to them, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or evil, to save a life or to destroy it? But they were silent. Now, this, I don't, this isn't just the Pharisees were silent, right? This is everyone, grieved by the hardness, but someone was getting bullied, right? And everybody's seen it, and everybody's just like, is not saying anything about this not want healing, nobody would say it, the Pharisees. And so in that moment where that person's getting bullied and you know what you ought to do and you don't do anything, that's the sin. so angry at all. He's like, are you kidding me? This guy is in this, in this synagogue, the little mini place where we gather to remind ourselves of the power of God, and this guy puts out his arm and nobody says a word. Like, yeah, you should heal him. Like, I don't know, right? It's ridiculous. And so what does he do? He says, stretch out your hand, and he stretches out his hand, and his hand was restored. This is the moment in Mark, in the Gospels, where the Pharisees thought, we've got to kill this guy. It literally says, so the Pharisees went out immediately and began plotting with the Herodians as to how they could assassinate him. Jesus had just punched a hole through the Mishnah, through the 1500 laws, and said, this is not the heart of God. And if you think about it, it's kind of confusing the way he asks the question, uh, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or evil to save a life or destroy it? You think about a withered hand, he's not really saving his life. You know, he'd probably been fine up to that point. He was in the synagogue, right? His hand just was all messed up, right? And of course, they would have assumed, oh, this is his guy's generational sin. He did something wrong. That's why his hand's withered. That's how they assumed things happened like that. But he wasn't dying, right? So why does Jesus say, am I allowed to save this man's life if he's not really dying? Unless... He's getting to something much deeper. And what he's getting to is what he gets to in almost all of his physical healings. His physical healing is a symbol of, of the inward reality of sin. Sin being healed. The forgiveness of sins. A spiritual healing. A deep soul healing that all of us, including uh, this man, needed. And so the physical healing, great. Non-withered hand, amazing. But what I'd rather have is my sins forgiven and to have eternity with my creator. Withered hand, take it or leave it, Right? And so what is he doing here? Why is he saying saving a life or destroying? He's pointing to the reality that he is not only the Lord of the Sabbath, he is Sabbath embodied, right? He is like the beauty of the point of Sabbath. And here is the fourth characteristic of Sabbath that a lot of people don't understand or that miss. Sabbath is indeed a gift that we savor by worshiping, delighting, and resting, but it is also a gift to savor by healing. Healing, not just past and not just present, but also future. 
is the reality of the healing that we receive from Jesus of our sins in the moment, in the present, in the past, in the traumas, in the anxiety, in the brokenness, in the evil, in the abuse, and all that stuff. And we are, we are reminded of what God has done for us in all of that. And then we step forward and look to the future of the hope that is to come of true healing, which is to live in a relationship with the Lord, in union with the Lord, where there's no evil. And it's just pure relationship, what we were created at the deepest part to do in the original creation when God takes a break and we get to sit in that with him. It's not just worshiping, delighting, resting. It's also healing. And so Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, yes, but he's also the Lord of true healing. And so when we Sabbath, we heal from the week's past, right, unsettledness in our souls, the tensions of our lives. We can actually place those worries and barriers down at the feet of Jesus. This is why a lot of us can't be alone for more than five minutes because we haven't dealt with any of that stuff. And so we just distract ourselves, we numb ourselves, we disillusion ourselves, because if we're just to sit in the presence of the Lord for long enough, those stuff will just come up because it's there. And so Sabbath is a, is a weird way of creating a space for that healing to occur. Not only past, but present. You know what? You had a really hard week, you had some things happen, you had some stress. There was an old um, Jewish like, rule that basically said, if you're sick on the Sabbath, you're not sick. <laughs> Which you're like... Yeah, it doesn't work. Like, if I have a cold, I have a cold, you know? <laughs> like, I don't have a cold today. I'm going to go, like, eat some food I can't taste, right? And act like I can taste it. No. But that's, that's the reality of what Sabbath is pointing to, is that in this moment, I have everything I need. I, I, am, I am fully content in the creation of what God has done in me and in my life and those around me. And in the future, which is the beautiful gospel reminder that we will be a fully healed self with Jesus one day. And so Sabbath, in some ways, is a mini heaven each week, Right? It's a mini heaven each week. And if you don't Sabbath, then I would argue you don't really want heaven. And that's what heaven is. Heaven's like the best Sabbath forever, ever. Right? It's just in, in basking in the handiwork of God. So if you don't Sabbath, you don't really want heaven, which means when you die, you're going to have a tough time because <laughs> you're there forever. So how do we practice that? How do we bring heaven into the Sabbath? And it doesn't just mean like, like, Sabbath is like, I'm going to go to an amusement park, and I'm going to drop five grand on cool stuff. It's like, it's not a treat-yourself day, okay? There's some parts that you can relish and, and, and savor, right? But it's not just about fun. It's about deep meaning and pointing to the reality of why we're even here and what God is doing in our lives. I love Abraham Heschel. who's actually a modern uh, Jewish rabbi. He wrote a book called Sabbath, and so he's not a Christian. He doesn't believe in Jesus. Um, but he describes the Sabbath as a palace in time. I love that idea. You think about like your week and the business and the meetings and the toil and the errands and the, and the stress and the relationships that are causing you turmoil and all this stuff. And you just get to go right on your calendar and be like, that's my palace. While you're, I think of it like this, you're in a river, right? And there's just, it's just sewage just flowing down the river. And there's a little island in the middle of the river, like the river's this wide. There's a little island. There's just a beautiful palace just sitting right there, right? And you're sitting in that palace one day a week while all the sludge just goes by you. And you're, just, you're able to just sit and be content with where God has you because in that moment you're in a palace. And you'll have six other days to deal with the sludge, right? You will. It'll still be there when, you, when, when your, your day is over, right? But we're willing to trust that what God is doing while we are resting is better than what we will do all the time working. The deepest reality that I see in the Sabbath that's important to us is that a Sab- uh, in Hebrews 4, a Sabbath is, is a pointing to salvation, actually. It has a deep 
uh, rooted seed in what it means to be saved, to follow Jesus, to believe in him. In Hebrews 4, it says, A Sabbath rest remains for the people of God. For the one, the one who enters God's rest has also rested from his works just as God did from his own works. Basically, if you enter into God's rest, God's rest is another name for salvation. Rest and salvation are synonymous. It's soul salvation, and this is why last week I read this little passage in Matthew, and I read the the Eugene Peterson paraphrase version, and he says, Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me and get away with me, and you'll recover your life, and I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. Right? That's the reality. Like, are you tired? Are you weary? Are you worn out? Not just physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. Are you in a tough place? Are you not finding any reprieve? Jesus says, come. And my burden is light. And my yoke is not hard to carry. Many of you, you might be like, I don't know if I really trust this Jesus guy. I don't really know if I want to follow him enough. I, I, I dare you to, to, to try Sabbath and see what happens. And just see the tangible lifestyle components of Jesus that, that bleed into the depth of his teaching. And so what it says in the, the next verse in Hebrews is it says, just as God rested from his own work, so do we. It says, thus we make every effort to enter that rest so that no one may fall by following the same pattern of disobedience. If you don't Sabbath, you are falling into the same pattern of the rest of the world. You're no different. And, and, and it's funny that it uses the word effort and rest in the same sentence. You think about that? Like, that's, yeah, I like, had an effortful rest. It was great. Like, no one would say that. Yeah, it took me a lot of effort to really fall asleep, you know. But, it, but that's the truth is it takes effort. It, it, it's hard to do. It requires you to consecrate time and to say no, to say no to things, right? The 14%, be willing to say no. One uh, theologian put it really well. He says, God creates and shapes a rich and colorful world in order to celebrate the feast of creation with all of his creatures on the Sabbath, right? So this idea of the seventh days is just beautiful and feast. Therefore, the Sabbath is significant. And as we celebrate it weekly, we have hope. So we Sabbath as a hope, as a future healing and a reminder. I think a lot of people ask me about my Sabbath. And I don't love the word Sabbath. I feel like it's a bit of a buzzword. Spirit of six days on that we're not under anymore. Um, you don't have to follow those ridiculous rules, but the spirit of six days on and one day off is a pattern that wo- is woven into humanity that we should honor. So I have a couple different creative terms you want to call them these. I call it a rest day. Call, you can call it the Lord's day, right? Worshiping the Lord. I, my favorite and what we call it in our household is we call it a savor day. We savor the reality of where God has us, what he's doing in our lives, and, and savoring by stopping and just being at rest. And so we inculcate those four principles, right? Worship, rest, delight, and healing. And so here's what I want to do in this time of formation uh, is I want to encourage you to to savor, to take a savor day. And before you even get there in your head, okay, you're thinking that's going to be really hard, right? And you're going to be thinking, can I mow my grass? Can I do my dishes? Can I make a really nice meal? What about HelloFresh? It's kind of already made, right? I just got to throw in a pot, right? Can I do, what, what can I do, what can I do, right? Just, just stop that for a second, all right? Don't be down at five feet. Be at 500, okay? Here's, here's the secret. Here's the secret to taking a day of savor. You also have to take a day of preparation. I'm giving you the secret right now. A.J. Swedober wrote a really good book on Sabbath, and he says, I've never seen someone accidentally keep a Sabbath. Sabbath is an action of great purpose, one that demands feisty intentionality. Do you want to be feisty this week? Here you go. You can do it. No one will judge you. 
Spicy intentionality. Sometimes that means me just not texting back people that I don't want to talk to. Because I'm just like, I need, I, it's going to go to work. It's going to be in this space. I, can't, I don't want it right now. Right? Sometimes it means throwing your phone in the trash can for a day. Right? Sometimes it means blocking yourself on Amazon because you will just shop because you're sitting there. And you're like, look at all these things we need when you're sitting around the house. Right? Right? There, there's, there, right? there's accountability here. But, but at the end of the day, the reason why we don't Sabbath is because we don't have enough faith. Right? We don't have enough faith in what God will do and six is greater than we'll do in seven. And so I, I want you to bring your fears before the Lord, but I also want you to, to think through the reality that I need to plan for this. I know it sounds silly. It's very practical. But the Israelites did it. When they're in the desert, the Ten Commandments hit, they're, they're eating bread off the ground every day. God's making it rain bread on the ground every day, and it goes away every night. It's there for the day. It melts or whatever in the night. And what does he say? He says, on the day before the Sabbath, the day of preparation, you're going to gather double the amount of bread so that you don't have to work on the Sabbath. There's two things that means. That means on the Sabbath, it's not going to rain bread, okay? But the first most primary thing is on that day before, which would be Friday, you got to work twice as hard. That's just, that's how it is. You got you to gather twice as much food. So as you plan your Savor Day, think about the things you need to plan for. Do I need to, like, do all the dishes and let the sink be clean for the day if I just can't stand it, right? Do I need to, do I need to make a meal that I can just reheat in the oven? Do I need to order out? Do I, do I want to spend four hours cooking? Probably not. Do I need to mow my grass? Is it going to stress me out the next day, right? All of these type of things. And at the end of the day, we're not doing this to be legalistic. We are doing it to create a space in the midst of a blizzard where we can hold onto a rope and say, there is literal snow hitting me in every part of my face right now and I can't see ahead but I can hold on to this rope and for one day I'm in a palace where I'm reminded of what Jesus has done for me what Jesus is doing for me and what Jesus will do for with me for eternity and that's a Sabbath or a day of saber or a day of rest I want to close with this journal entry and then I'm going to invite you to process on your own uh, there was a Dutch theologian who was brilliant by the name of Henry Nouwen if you've heard of him and uh, he taught at uh, Notre Dame, Yale, and Harvard, right? Those aren't those greatest schools. Uh, feeling a deep conviction in the midst of all that to leave academia and to serve pastorally with special needs people in Toronto in a, in a home called La Arc. And so he served there for 10 years. And after 10 years of work, he was granted a sabbatical year, which is basically an entire year to kind of practice Sabbath. And that's in the Bible. That's a whole other week, right? Uh, and so he's given a sabbatical year, a whole year where he doesn't work. And in, in his journal entry... He journaled, you know, each day, which was uh, amazing. And um, this is his first journal entry, the day that it started. He said, this is the first day of my sabbatical. I'm excited and anxious and hopeful and fearful, tired and full of desire to do a thousand things. The coming year stretches out in front of me as a long, open field full of flowers and full of weeds. How will I cross that field? What will I have learned when I finally reach the other end? I feel strange, very happy and very scared at the exact same time. I've always dreamt about a whole year without appointments and meetings and lectures and travel and letters and phone calls, a year completely open to let something radically new happen, but can I do it? You're going to ask yourself that in the morning of the day saver. Can I actually do this? Can I let go of all the things that make me feel useful and significant? I realize that I am quite addicted to being busy and experience a bit of withdrawal anxiety. Sound familiar? I have to nail myself to a chair and control these wild impulses to get up again and become busy with whatever draws my attention. But underneath all of these anxieties, there is an immense joy. Free at last, free to think critically, to feel deeply, to pray as never before. 
free to write about the many experiences that I have stored up in my heart and mind during the last nine years, free to deepen friendships and explore new ways of loving, free most of all to fight with the angel of God and ask for a new blessing. The past three months have seemed like a steeplechase full of complex hurdles because he's preparing. I have often thought, how will I ever make it to September? But now I am here, I have made it, and I rejoice. So Henry Nowen spent an entire year not toiling, and I mean, this guy's brilliant. Brilliant. His final uh, paragraph of entry of his journal, the last day of his sabbatical year, it says this. It says, a little later, I was back in my own room again, and it was full of flowers. There were many balloons and large welcome home cards with the names and drawings of many community members. What a night. What a warm welcome. Indeed, this sabbatical year is over, and it is good to be back. As if that wasn't hard enough, he, Henry Nowen died 21 days later of a heart attack. And when you think through that, you think, man, like, if I had a year and some change left, there's no way I would rest, right? I was thinking about this, like, you know, you're your parent, you're like, what happens if I have cancer? Like, what am I going to do with my kids? You know, it's really morbid thought, but you think like this when you're a parent. Would I, like, make all these videos? Would I, like, do all these things? Would I try to, like, write all this stuff? Would I try to just, like, just, like, just give my life away in the best way I can? And in Henry Nowen's last year of his life was resting. And people would say, what a waste, right? If he would have known, he would have written all these books. He could have accomplished so much more. He was so influential. And even then, he was wasting his time with special needs people. That's what people thought, right? Why? You're gifted. Go back to Harvard, right? And, and I would argue that he spent his last life already in heaven, that he was content with, and his readings are profound because they're all about this reality of I am not what I necessarily, what I do or what people think of me, right? I am a son of love, son of God, and I am chosen and loved. And, and he got to sit in that reality for a year. And then 21 days later, he finally got to go back home. And, and I just think about that, and I think about Sabbath is you don't have tomorrow. You barely even have today. Can we weekly just remind ourselves of the futility of humanity in our bodies, but the beauty of what is to come? And so that is Sabbath for us, and that is what we savor. So the last question I ask, which brings us into formation, is do we have enough faith to trust that God will care for us, that our deepest longings will be met, our deepest fears quenched by the Spirit, and our soul will be healed by savoring, worshiping, resting, and delighting in the Creator who will be with us forever? So our, our, our formation time, we do a lot of different things. Um, we have the bread and cup, which is a reminder of the rest, the spiritual rest that Jesus gives us, that he gave that man with a withered hand. And you know what? You can receive that today as spiritual rest. Symbolically, we actually rest too. You're giving away uh, what God has given you back to him to trust. And then our last thing is the reflection is, I want you to do this. It's incredibly practical. If you're married or you're a saver day, a rest day, whatever you want to call it, and really, really hard. Try to do it. And then what's going to happen is in a couple weeks, I'm going to ask for your stories, and you're going to tell them, and I'm going to share them, and it's going to be amazing. And there's going to be three types of people. There's going to be people who did it, and it was amazing, and they're like, this was amazing. It was hard at the beginning. I loved it. I'm so thankful. I'm, I'm making it happen every week now. There's going to be people who try to do it in the middle of it. You just crashed and burned. You're like, I got to go mow my lawn. The grass is so high, right? Or I got to go work out, right? You're going to do it, and it's fine. And you're going to realize, man, maybe I am really attached to this world of hurry more than I thought. And then the third group of you is not going to do it at all, and that's okay. And there's grace for that. But what I want you to know is if you really want rest, you really want deep rest, stop trying to cling to things. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. 
To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.